Premier League season may be over, but we still have the FA Cup final, Champions League and Europa League to come, and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music, charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Who was the most beleaguered manager of 2019-20? What was the season's games gone moment? Which was the greatest Lampardian transition of them all? And which of this season's footballing phrases do we never want to hear again? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is the Football Clichés Awards. Access to The Athletic is currently free for 30 days. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. I'm joined for this end of season bonanza by Nick Miller once again. Welcome back, Nick. Hello. As we look back on this season, how, how do you think it will be remembered? And, and I want you to answer this through the ultimate test. In the year 2035, when you're scrolling through your Sky Ultra box and you you come across Premier League years, 2019-20, are you going to want to watch it? Is it? Are you going to think, yep, yep, I'm going to settle down for an hour for this one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if only because by then I assume the Chemical Brothers will no longer be releasing albums, <laughs> so it'll just be nice to hear Out of Control again, I think. I'm concerned that the, the current affairs section of that episode will be like half an hour long and they won't be able to do anything else. But we're not going to dwell on that because what we are going to dwell on is the season of 2019-20. And after all this nonsense that we've gone through, we're going to have a very short pre-season heading into 2020-21. That's quite an annoying season to say out loud, actually. Put simply, Dan, is this forthcoming pre-season going to be long enough to whet your appetite for the next season? I feel like there's an optimum amount of time that you need to get excited about a new season. And I don't think this is going to be long enough. I feel like we've already had a sort of a pre-season and I've had enough time to get excited about Sheffield United versus Burnley or whatever. But uh, mm. this doesn't seem like a long enough period for, you know, grainy... Um, grainy streams of matches taking place in far-flung <laughs> places in Asia and new kits that are, um, because it's so humid, are just extra sweaty and you can't quite tell what they really look like because they've gone see-through. Mm. I should point, obviously, all on legal streams, of course. Yes. Um, so, Absolutely. yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't really feel like a, a enough time for that. So um, I guess we'll see. And, I, you know, I can't quite believe that apparently the transfer window is open as we, as we record. So, yeah, does, it, this seems very bizarre. We are here to talk about awards. And we're going to hand out some very obscure awards, as, as this episode presumably promises everybody. But what I picked up about last week when Jordan Henderson picked up the Football Writers Award, Nick, was this, this culture 
straight away of, of kind of ripping into individual awards despite them being voted by people. And why do we care so much about this? It's, it's a team sport. Why do individual awards cause such consternation or perceived consternation? I mean, I don't know. I find it very difficult to to care about individual awards at all. It's partly this kind of idea, which it, it isn't always the case, but it's the idea that the winner of the award has to come from the team that the team that won a trophy, mm. which is um, it seems like we've kind of got these things backwards. It's, you know, if it's always given to the player in the best team, surely it should be given to a player who's really good despite the team around him being rubbish. You kind of go, you've been really good despite this collection of losers surrounding you. There seems to be like a, a sort of limit to which praise, but people can kind of cope with praise for a team that they don't support. One of the most frequent things you'll get if anyone praises Liverpool this season, for example, is, you know, I can't stand all this, the, the continuing Liverpool wank fest, despite, <laughs> you know, Liverpool, Liverpool winning the... Liverpool winning the title by, you know, it's basically winning the title in November and the, all these people are kind of surprised and annoyed that people are being quite complimentary <laughs> about them. They haven't even been that unbearable as we were all promised. Uh, I feel like almost let down by how bearable Liverpool fans have actually been. Part of the point of the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award is simply there to remind everyone that uh, some people have a vote in the Football Writers Player of the Year <laughs> Award, which was uh, always fun to see. Um, but... <laughs> I do wonder, I mean, back in the day, there were, only, there were only a few individual awards, and now it feels like there are awards all over the place. There's the Ballon d'Or, which has been cancelled this year. You've got the two in, in, the, in the UK. You've got UEFA's awards. You've got FIFA's best awards, which are very clunky. Are we in danger of simply too many individual awards? How can, how can, you, how can you acclaim so many individuals in one year? Yeah, I feel completely lost. I mean, if you to ask me who is the best player in the world or who's the world player, voted world player of the year, I'm scrambling. I don't know which, which sort of glitzy neon or swiss uh, award ceremony do i need to go to you know it's all just the way that football discourse has become how we always have to crown someone to be the best that gets quite boring doesn't it i mean i think it's just more sort of like an you know the institution as it were or um or the you know the powers that be getting involved in the whole sort of uh the whole sort of discourse of arguing back and forth over who's better between different fans or whatever on social media you know it's like you know it's like being the world's best apple salesman and here comes someone from the orange store to tell you that they're better. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Nick, given that there are so many award ceremonies, we, we obviously hit saturation point at some point with award ceremonies. Do you recall an award ceremony called the footies? The first I heard of it was when you sent this around earlier on. So I, I don't remember this at all. By the sound of it, there's a very good reason why I don't remember it. <laughs> it, was, um, it was launched by Rio Ferdinand in sometime in 2013 and it was launched as football's answer to the oscars and i feel like all award ceremony ceremonies should be the oscars of something but this this was this was a star-studded event and um it will combine and celebrate the huge passion there is for football in this country together with another proud british export music it is rio oh. ferdinand said an absolute first <laughs> so on the face of it, Nick, does that sound like the worst thing we could possibly have witnessed? That sounds kind of horrendous. Presumably, when was this, 2013? Presumably, it would have just been sort of Tim Lovejoy handing an award over to Kasabian or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. that's, 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 that's the thing that immediately springs to mind when, um, when that's mentioned. It does sound like Soccer AM Live. Dan, James Corden was involved in this as well, which I feel is slightly inevitable. And he said, I think the footies is going to become a date in the diary for many years to come. <laughs> well, sadly, James, not only did the 
2013 edition not happen, it has never happened. Uh, Dan, do you feel quite thankful about this? Because it does sound like an absolute shambles. Well, thankfully, at least we didn't have James Corden videoing himself driving to the awards with whoever band was going to uh, was going to be uh, going to get the awards and um, singing along to a song. So I guess we've been <laughs> spared that. Thankfully, maybe this was sort of. Uh, uh, the PR spin came out before they actually thought about the logistics of this, really. I had to dig deeper into the footies and find out what the hell was going on here. And that led me inevitably to Company's House. Uh, here, Dan, are the list of directors for the Footies Awards Limited. Alan Kerbishley, former Millwall and Watford striker Jamie Morley, and Richard Keyes. Yes. <laughs> I can't think. I can't think of three better people. To, to preside over the arrangements for a football award ceremony. Um, how amazing. What do you think, uh, Dan, Richard Key's involvement was here? I don't know, but it makes me think that maybe there are some dark forces at work. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we are obliged to use that phrase every time he comes up. These are the Clichés Awards of 2019-20. And we begin with the most beleaguered manager of the season. I feel like this has been a fallow year for beleaguered managers. Nick, if you take the three relegated managers, Daniel Fark, Eddie Howe, and I guess you can kind of include Nigel Pearson, none of those qualify as beleaguered. They're all they're all too composed and measured. Where do we go for our beleaguedness this season? Oh, I, I mean, I agree about Fark. Norwich, uh, Norwich were kind of expected to be relegated. Pearson didn't really have time to look beleaguered, but I think Howe looked very beleaguered. He he looked like okay. he looked like he needed a, a good cuddle for most of the season. It was just the the you could see the sort of from the from the point that they were sort of seventh or whatever it was in October, the hope sort of slowly draining out of him from kind of November onwards, that you know he's as recently as last year linked with the the you know the bigger slightly shinier jobs in the country, and now he is taking Bournemouth, this team he has been with for the better part of twenty five years. He's the, the slow sad realization that all the players he bought are rubbish, and he's taking them down. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's that's enough to make anyone look beleaguered. A very controversial call to put him in the not beleaguered section. I think he's looked like a haunted man for most of the season. I will grudgingly accept that. Dan, I offer you two names for who have perhaps ushered in a new era, a new brand of sophisticated beleaguedness. Unai Emery and Manuel Pellegrini. I feel like they exude beleaguedness in in the kind of respective spells this season. Do you think they qualify? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. Unai Emery sort of had that kind of, he'd often sort of do sort of a grimace and a head scratch that kind of just looked like, he looked like the kind of person that maybe had put a shelf up, thought I probably haven't put this up properly. And then the next day watches all the plates that he put on there smash down like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I think for me, my number one most beleaguered manager I'd like to nominate, I think it's Kike Sanchez-Flores, obviously returning to the Premier League. I mean, I think in his first spell, I know... I think it's always sort of slightly disingenuous, obviously, to sort of equate beleaguedness to sort of how someone looks or acts, really. But obviously, in his first spell a few, you know, where I feel like it was a few years ago, but it probably wasn't yeah. in Watford. Um, for he was sort of this, you know, handsome Spaniard with, who had sort of snood wearing, nice suit. Where obviously when he came back, he kind of, you know, he let his beard grow out. His eyes were a bit more sunken, you know, kind of, I feel he just sort of like got up in the morning, looked at his snood rack and was just like, oh, what's the point? I'm getting sacked in a week anyway. So yeah, I think he's probably our most beleaguered one. He's a good shout. And I think he may be the winner here because I think he actually takes beleaguedness to a new level because since he was returning for a second spell at Watford, I presume he was pre-beleaguered 
He was already beleaguered before he got there, which I guess we can call pre-leaguered. So that makes him the <laughs> ultimate, ultimate winner of this award. And so that one's done and dusted. More managerial chat. We've covered Neil Warnock to Middlesbrough uh, to a great extent in previous episodes. I, I remember your your interview with with him and his uh, his assistant Kevin Blackwell, which spawned the uh, spawned the hashtag "fuck the kitchen." So. I feel like that legacy has been sealed already, regardless of whether his permanent appointment works out. Kike Sanchez to Flores to Watford was inevitable in his own little way. But I offer you a late contender, Aitor Karanka to Birmingham. Absolutely. He's, Karanka is already in that category of, has he not already managed them, managers? And I, <laughs> I would also put Gary Monk into that category as well. Okay. He, has, he has managed Swansea, Leeds, Middlesbrough, Birmingham and Sheffield Wednesday. But if you told me that he had a kind of slightly underwhelming 18 months at Preston or Reading, I would 100% believe you. Dan, does Karanka to Birmingham sort of have the have the feel of someone sort of constantly trying a computer game from the same level over and over again <laughs> until they finally crack it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You look at obviously Ita Karanka and his um, playing career as sort of a Real Madrid player. So obviously those people always arrive with this sort of mystique of, oh, you know, he... He knows football, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's from sort of one of the world's most sort of ruthless institutions and really kind of chipping away at that legacy every day with, you know, taking over at Middlesbrough, Birmingham. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you could be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Nick, the most tedious debate of the season. I feel like this is only going to go one way, but hit me with it. Oh, God, I don't even want to, you don't even want to say it out loud. It's, it's far, it's the various, it's the sort of competition to, to find the smallest body part that can be are judged offside. I don't think VAR itself is is the tedious thing. I think it I think the offshoot, the chat about it has become a one of the one of the real kind of overshadowing annoyances of 2019-20. It's basically people sarcastically talking about toenails and eyebrows that has dragged it into the gutter for me. Yeah, and it's the the, the sort of odd concept of um things like offside and a ball being over the line both being binary things, but everyone can kind of accept when a ball is the, the ball is a millimeter over the line, but when uh, only a a small part of a footballer is offside, they can't accept that. I don't know. Is is it just because this is is it just because this is this whole kind of thing is a, a relatively new concept that um, people have, have been so kind of um, you know they're so used to the idea of benefit of the doubt and that there being and it, it therefore not being a binary thing that they just can't get their head round, uh, you know, that a player is either onside or he is offside. Either way, it's been fucking boring all season. Dan, why don't we just bring in daylight? Surely that'll solve everything, right? Oh, yeah, that's exactly the same, isn't it? It's exactly the same. Oh, I think, as Nick put it, just stop getting so emotionally invested in something that is a yes or no answer, basically, and obviously it's being enforced to, you know, the letter of the law. It's mm. not offside for me, it's just offside, isn't it? But yeah, it's... Uh, I don't ever want to see another league table of VAR decisions for or against your team. Like, 
it could also be we could also do a league table of if you'd uh, if Mo Salah had played for Crystal Palace. But it, again, it didn't happen, just like the VAR decisions. I would read that. No one's pretending that VAR is perfect, but I think the chat about it really needs to evolve for 2020-21. Or we are all in danger of just being swallowed into this mass of indignance. Dan, what do you think is the games gone moment of 2019-2020? Well, I think it's been a suggested. Is I don't know, but I'm even struggling if this is this season. Throwing coaches? There was much hand-wringing, and I think there was some... Sorry to pick on them again, but I think some some sort of major name broadcasters who uh, broadcast now out of sort of the Middle East um, <laughs> maybe sort of uh, did much clutching at pearls at the idea, sort of scoffing and and things like that. I mean, I guess that just shows the cynicism of football, doesn't it? You know, that we just, we wring our hands at sort of the most kind of uh, 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 an elite team, you know, searching for marginal gains, which is, a, by and large, is, is a good idea. And, and our reaction is, oh, what a load of nonsense. Just tell them to run faster. Just don't like new things, do we? Uh, <laughs> no. Nick, what do you think has irritated generic dads the most? I would nominate uh, a moment in the, it was sort of before the season, it was last summer when Matthias de Ligt moved to Juventus. There was a clip that went around quite a lot of uh, Juventus fans uh, chanting the name of his agent, Mino Raiola, which oh. I, um, I had I'd completely forgotten about before I was kind of reading up earlier on today but i now recall the sad slow shaking of the heads that um, that swept around the kind of irritated men of the internet uh you know i can't believe that people i can't believe that people even know who football agents are never never mind you know chanting their name um so yeah that would be my nomination for this one kind of on board with that uh i I worry if that's my advancing age but i feel like i'm fully subscribed to that one dan finally for this one the news that mike dean is going to feature in fifa 21 um to what extent do you think is he going to feature because i is he going to do the motion capture himself or will it be andy (laughs) circus the thing is obviously i think it's just part of the we all know about sort of the cult of Mike Dean and, you know, I personally think it is quite funny and, you know, I've never met him personally, but the sort of the media <laughs> spotlight that's put on him, sure. you know, he, he, is, he is quite funny. He is very funny, obviously. But obviously it's kind of, again, it's just sort of shows just sort of the spotlight that are on these referees. You know, you go back and I know we previously done an episode on uh, cliches on the cliches podcast of uh, looking at video games. And mm-hmm. it was, um, it's probably more than a decade ago that Pro Evolution Soccer 3 and 4 had Pierluigi Colina on the cover on Pro Evo mm. 3, it had his signature on the box because I think these were the early days of... His signature? Yeah, Pro Evo. Because obviously these were the early days when Pro Evo were first dipping their toe into actually getting some licensed things, you know. My God. You know, some licensed teams or... And I, I guess it was just cheaper to get Kalina rather than <laughs> pay for, you know, Tottenham Hotspur, which I believe was one of the first proper Premier League teams they had. If you are going to get this new FIFA game um, and there's an option to choose your referee, I mean... I don't think you're going to choose anyone other than Mike Dean, are you, if he's available? And um, I do yep, also wonder, not. so I'm going, going back to, again, to the very early days of these computer games. I remember, I think it's International Superstar Soccer, which is the old Pro Evo in its original form. And you used to be able to pick a, pick a referee, and the referee would have a difficulty rating as to how harsh they are. <laughs> so where will Mike Dean, will Mike Dean obviously playing up to his sort of um, his character Will he be the toughest difficulty referee? Hopefully there's a good sort of banter rating that you can uh, place on the, on the referee. <laughs> oh, God. Let's not. Yeah, Let's yeah, not. Chicanity rating, maybe. I don't want Mike Dean's brand to go too far. I think it's just, it's just in, it's in the sweet spot right now, especially with his beard as well. 
but if you're going to like, obviously FIFA has made it where you can um, you can stick there and you can celebrate and the, uh, that joy of playing against someone and and watching all the replays back. So are you going to make sure that your opponent is forced to watch all the replays of the red card being awarded with no look? <laughs> Post lockdown, Nick, I I. I noticed a worrying trend of dressing down amongst the Premier League's management. I think that reached its nadir with with Pep Guardiola's hoodie, which had some sort of sort of graffiti effect on the back. It was, it was just most unbecoming of an elite level manager. Where do you think the managerial dress code stands right now? Does this need to be addressed? Because I feel like they're getting less and less smart as the season wore on. I assume from this you're kind of very much in the position of your manager has to be either in his suit or the tracksuit. I feel like it should be binary. Right, okay. I to see, I don't have, really have a problem with it. I mean, the, Guardiola, if you kind of really want to dig down into Guardiola's fashion choices, he's worn some actually outrageous trousers this season, for example. Some of the pants on display have been... Like cargo trousers. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But but with pockets, not cargo trousers I know them anyway. In in um, when, when I was a fan of the cargo pant, the, the pockets were very much on the side. But... He seems to have favoured the cargo pant with the pockets on the thighs, on the front of the thighs. Do you accept a Premier League manager wearing jeans? Is is that allowed now? Is that fine? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take oh, that. I don't, I don't, I don't say God. why not. My God. I, I'll take a manager in jeans, sure. It's been a checkered season for punditry. We've had Roy Keane's rant. We've had we've had some an introduction of some fresh voices here and there, and I I feel like it's it's been an interesting season on that front. Um, the, the standout piece of of what I, I genuinely think might be the worst punditry this season, actually didn't really involve football at all. It was this is Dean Saunders on Talk Sport around last August, speaking to comedian James Acaster about uh, mental health uh, in a professional context, and uh, this was his input. I think that that base level of stress and anxiety is fine, and it's it's actually not, and it's uh, I think a lot of countries. Uh, Acknowledge that. I'd imagine doing don't. what you do, stand up. I'd have thought that's stressful in well, itself. It's tears of a clown. That saying, tears of a clown. That is a saying. I think that uh, I think that I think that in every uh, job, it's stressful and it can get on top of you if you don't look after it. Obviously, Nick, I just what my favourite thing about that little sort of interjection from Dean Saunders there, tears of a clown, is just how how happy he was with himself for coming up with it and just that it popped into his head for something that was uh, was on the radio. It, it's it's something that really needs to be seen visually as well. If you can find the <laughs> clip of it. <laughs> as you say, the look, the look of satisfaction on on Saunders' face as he thinks, as this it's the light bulb above his head. Oh, the, the moment of inspiration that flashes through his head as he remembers this extraordinarily trite saying to interject to a comedian talking about something that you know is a clearly very, uh, it was clearly very painful for him and is very important generally. Um, and then Saunders blunders in to, um, you know offer what he presumably thought was this great philosophical insight. On to equally inspiring matters, Dan. Tweet of the season from a footballer. You took care of this in one fell swoop. We, we didn't have to do any research for this at all. Uh, talk us through your nomination and, by default, the winner. June 21st, 2020, to set the scene. <laughs> I don't want to poke behind the magician's curtain, but obviously, as we've seen plenty of times, you know, we need to realise, obviously, what footballers post on social media is often often done by a company or a social media company or done by a friend if they're a sort of a lower-ranking footballer. And the messages are very corporate, you know. They'll always tell you how class the fans were, even if the fans were not class by any stretch of the <laughs> imaginations. They might have been rubbish, but yeah, they'll always tell you they're class. They will always remember to put um, put sort of coloured circle emojis of the team they play for. 
a little hashtag yeah. that says, you know, of the team hashtag, just to make sure people know that they've got passion and they care and things like this. And it's also soulless and very, very corporate. And this is kind of the 2020 version of the famous uh, tweet by Victor Anachibi, where his company tweeted out, please tweet something like fans were brilliant. Um, which was then posted to Twitter. So yeah, June uh, June 21st, 2020, West Ham keeper Lucas Fabianski seemed to sort of jump the shark with this. And after a loss to Wolves, just tweeted from his account, Wolves takes three points, hashtag West Ham, hashtag C-O-Y-I, come on you Irons. I mean, he's not BBC Sport. What is he doing? He's like, what, what is... what? What is the person, whether it's him, if it's him himself, even then I can sort of, you know, have a bit of sympathy. But the person who tweeted that out, what what are they thinking? Like, you're not a live text. You don't, you know, why do your the people you're tweeting this for think you want to be, I don't know, not even happy, just weirdly soullessly updating what the what happened after the game? I understand. And as you say, we shouldn't attribute this to uh, Fabianski directly. But since it's in his name, we can we, we should therefore hold him up to, to be judged here. And uh, if you just scroll through his timeline of tweets, it is absolutely metronomic with his adherence to the policy of, of Premier League footballers tweeting. It's just sort of pre-match stuff of eight days to go uh, till the game. <laughs> then, he, then he announces the result of the game with him in action. And then it's him in training and then him anticipating a game, then him announcing the result. It's absolutely relentless. To, to an extent, it's quite admirable. So, um, but yeah, so just for its pure... And I, I, I love the way he phrased it. As you say, it is a bit like he phrased it like a media outlet, not just sort of apologetically saying, we'll try better next time. He actually said, yeah, all three points to Wolves. Yeah, I've just, yeah. I've just been scrolling and I've seen the same thing. He did it for a loss to Manchester City. Manchester City yeah. takes all three points. I mean, <laughs> is someone, is, is, you know, someone, a Graham Sunas gonna, or a Roy Keane going to dig him out on Sky Sports in the long sort of two-hour build-up to a Super Sunday game where they say, you know, oh, I've only spent more time practising goalkeeping rather than telling everyone the result, you know? <laughs> Factually correct. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, well, so, know. yeah, a, a, a low-key winner of 2019-20 tweet of the season, but a, a deserving one nonetheless. Harry's sponsors Football Clichés, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. As a listener of Football Clichés, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash football cliches right now. That's harrys.com forward slash football cliches. Nick, onto a very special category now. Uh, something very close to my heart. Something I've been studying all season, uh, which is the Lampardian transition, a phenomenon I think you're, you're quite familiar with. Uh, if anyone isn't, let's 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 just explain this. This is Frank Lampard's patented um, technique of responding to pretty much any question during a press conference or interview, which is serious point followed by a light-hearted point, then a serious point. Um, as I say, I've been studying this phenomenon all season, and I think I've narrowed it down to what I think might be the best one. So here it is in all its glory. Um, he hasn't committed a crime, probably other than eating chips in the back of a cab, which is probably a bit out of order for the cabbie. Um, 
But on a serious note... That was Ross Barkley's um, transgression of eating chips in the back of a cab. Uh, I feel like he set that up perfectly. The trajectory of that, Nick, just sums up Lampard perfectly. The commitment to the art is sensational. I think the key thing, Dan, to a Lampardian transition is that he's in full control of of the mood at all times during those five, ten seconds. And it's, it's the way that he announces that, no, on a serious note, I joke, but on a serious note, so he is dictating things. And that... That's got that's almost sort of Ferguson level mind games. That that that's that's control, isn't it? Um, maybe they maybe there's there's some seeds of a great manager there. Yeah, definitely. You feel like it's probably something. Obviously, I know that you're a, such a such as a sort of dedicated purveyor of studying the lamp the Lampardian <laughs> transition. I mean, I think Lampardian you could probably coin it into the dictionary personally and have it attributed to yourself. Um, I thought, um, but yeah, you're right. I think he's probably been working on it since he was a player and done it all his post match interviews because you know he was. As Mr. Chelsea, he was always the one dragged out for the post-match interview, wasn't it? I think it was what was quite interesting as well was to see that there was a, there was a clip I really enjoyed recently from, um, which is probably the kind of thing that happens all the time, which is obviously Lampard's argument with the Liverpool coaching staff. You must have seen oh, online yeah. after the mm. 5-3 loss uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and obviously Lampard sort of did a lot of things. He told one of um, Jurgen Klopp's assistants to sit down. I'm not talking to you. He, upset, he dismissed Jurgen Klopp in the most brilliant way with just you know, apologies to language, but fuck off you as well, which I just thought was brilliant <laughs> to say to sort of, you know, the title winning manager and sort of had said some quite harsh things, but there was no like, he didn't do his transition in there. There was no like, you know, he was saying, you guys are giving it the big end because you've won a title, you know, but but seriously, you have won a title or anything like that, you know, no lighthearted chuckle. So maybe, you know, it would have been, would have been good to see if he kind of um, sort of kept that sort of style of speech into his, uh, into his sweary arguments with opposition benches as well. Yeah, I don't think the Lampardian transition lends itself to aggro, uh, I don't think you can use it in that context. You have to use it in a, in a no? kind of level-headed situation. What about a parking ticket? Could you, have, you ever, have you ever tried, you know, maybe, you know, <laughs> well, a parking ticket? Well, my car is massive. And it it is, it is. But, but, yeah, but, but no, seriously. But, Nick, uh, we asked our listeners for some phrases uh, or words from 2019-20 that they just never want to hear again. Debluded suggests clear and obvious. Uh, we don't want to get to VAR again, but I think he's in the right ballpark there. Andrew Benny says, I just never want to hear unprecedented times again in my life. I want the rest of my life to be absolutely precedented. We do need to kind of draw a line under this, don't we? I, I realise it's a very serious situation, but football needs to kind of just... It, there's going to be a hangover from this that, that lasts for quite a while, but football just needs to get over its it, its state of things, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, how long does a state of uh, unprecedented times last? Are we... If there are no fans in sort of November in next season, is this still going to be unprecedented? Um, or are we still going to be calling it eerie in in September? I hope we're not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about anyone else, but I, you kind of got used to the the sort of eeriness, if you will, of the grounds pretty quickly. So you know, you watch you watch a couple of games, you go, you think, oh, there are no fans there. That's a bit odd. And then you very quickly get used to it and therefore it becomes precedented. So, <laughs> Listener Grundy has pointed out that during, uh, during this post-lockdown phase, he's, he's noticed an, an increased focus on, for commentators on uh, bad language from players. He says, I've heard the terms unsavoury, choice, industrial, docker, low quality, enthusiastic, outdated and overpassionate language since the season restarted. Dan, do you think... Um, do you think commentators are going to get fatigued for simply apologising for bad language? I do think that uh, commentators probably will get a bit uh, a bit bored of apologising for it because obviously as long as it goes, we're going to, 
keep having the option to watch games with uh, no crowd noise, which is the decision I've made for every time. Like I don't want, I don't want that fake crowd noise. I want to hearing a player swear is kind of like the sort of bingo card. I'm like, yes, he's done a swear word because it happens all the time. Obviously, they, they don't know how to shout without swearing, or you know, or I actually get to hear the proper. Um, sort of the uh the frequency at which the high-pitched squeal of a player that gets tackled is you know so i think i think yeah but yeah the sort of resigned and it's always just the delay as well i'm always wondering when i hear a swear how long until i hear my commentator apologize for it i love how they just sort of sigh their way through it because they just know they have Uh, to do it due to offcom rules but there you go (laughs) the only fascination i've got um, with um, listening to a game without crowd noise is what goalkeepers shout to sort of direct their defenders towards marking. Do they say the full names of the opposing players? Like, does it work like Sunday League? Do you say just get the big one at the back, get the bald guy? I just That's the only thing I'm interested in. Um, Nick, Jake Woods, uh, not, not so much of an irritation for him. He's just more intrigued by this one. He says, is it better to be home and dry or home and hosed? It means the same thing. And yet, no, hang, hang on, we, we, we're getting a big head shake from Dan here. Dan, Dan, uh, OT, you, you, Come on, Susie Dent, yeah. tell us what the, uh, the answer is. Well, well obviously, I'm going to say that home and hosed is obviously comes from horse racing. Well, home and, I think home and dry in, in sort, of, uh, sort of says that you've kind of gone through a tough, you know, a tough race maybe or a tough sort of ordeal where maybe there was, I'm just I'm breaking it down, where there was water involved, where it was tricky. Home and dry means it kind of <laughs> says that it was sort of an escape. Do you know what? I, I think it was an escape. You know, you got away with it by the nick of your teeth. Whereas home, home and hose, I think, sort of is sort of the leader of a horse race and basically you've won very easily. So I think it's better to be home and hose than home and dry. Fine. Definitive answer. There you go, Jake. Uh, Dan has solved that one for you. It, well, he hasn't really, but it, but there it is. It was very refreshing, Dan, in, in this year of all years to hear a football manager really laying into it into a cliche this was Jonathan Woodgate back in October after after his Middlesbrough side had gone seven games without a win and dropped into the relegation zone and he simply refused to accept this common football cliche let's hear it no it's lying though well, people say people say that the league table tells the truth it's not it's lying <laughs> hints of Jimmy Nail there um, but 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 it's, it's good, isn't it? It's good to see managers taking on the language of football. I really enjoyed that. It seemed like that was a kind of proper football man's introduction to XG. Like, actually, <laughs> I think you'll find the underlying numbers suggest that our performance has been much better than our results suggest. But, you know, he's really kind of boiled it down to the, the, the essentials there. Actually, that, that's a good point. Dan, I now worry that managers are going to start getting into the, the underlying numbers of XG and saying, well... You you can sit there and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. <laughs> I feel like we're close to that that point again. Do you think XG is going to become the next thing that managers become sort of hyper aware of? Yeah, I think so. Let's hope so. I mean, I think it's um, we've got over sort of the um, the pearl clutching from the proper football men about it being a problem. Um, yeah. And obviously, but what I, I'd like Jonathan Woodgate, I'd like them to treat it with that level of sort of immaturity and just sort of <laughs> stick two fingers in the ears and go, la, 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 la. it's lying. No, 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 it's lying. I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at it. So I, th- I think thing. that's... Yeah, it's, it's a, thing. a thing. It's a thing. You know, he, 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 you know, he can stick the XG numbers up on the wall as a uh, for his team talk. Yes. And if he's doing that and it's how he motivates his players, that's fine. But I prefer him to just pretend that that's not happening and sort of show sort of that kind of childishness and say, no, nope, sorry, it's not true. Nick, uh, listener Ali says, uh, this is not necessarily a phrase, but I've spent most of the season trying to work out what's being said at the end of every Sky ad break um, at the end of uh, the theme tune for Super Sunday. 
with little success. Let's hear it, and if you could shed some light on this, that would be great. First of all, I'm just fed up with hearing that, let alone <laughs> the, the decipherableness of it. But what, what do you think is actually being sung there? Um, I, it's difficult to make out. I, I'm hearing the word thimble in there somewhere. I don't know what that could be referring to, but that's what it sounds like. It's a song about sewing in the 19th century and right. uh, about the, just the, the lack of a thimble. Is that what thimbles are for? Bad, bad podcasting for not researching that. But, um, but Dan, let's hear it one more time. I, I want to yeah. hear what, um, yeah. what your take on this is. It's like, is it like one of those audio, is it like the sort of audio equivalent of the gold and the black, the <laughs> navy dress that you hear something different every time? I feel like it was something it like, some sort of like advice for travellers or something like, when it gets too hot, make sure you go home or something like that. <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I hear something different every time you, you'd play it to me and I could sit there for a full Bad week and come for, up uh, with... for the travel industry, that one, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, here's, here's the answer. Apparently it's when the going gets tough, Got to give a little more. No, absolutely not. No, there's no way it says uh, that. Yeah, I'm not standing yeah, that. So, I mean, the irritation of not knowing what it is, yet hearing it at least 18 times a weekend, I I fear that in 2020, 21, we need a return to an iconic Super Sunday tune. We've had Ronan Keating. We've had Republica. We need Nick. We need something better, don't we? We need something that brings the nation together in a Super Sunday afternoon, rousing them from their afternoon naps. I don't want to hear forgettable super sunday tunes anymore what what who nominate someone next for next season who would you like to hear i mean is this is this all leading up to the campaign through for the return of alive and kicking oh wouldn't it be good <laughs> what was that ever, but that well uh, i don't know if that was ever the theme tune for super sunday maybe ronan keating can make a heroic comeback what do you think what was the ronan keating song loving each day as if it was the last actually that that's quite pandemic themed isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's advice it's, advice to carry on in life as much as it's a you know a rousing super sunday thing i think it's obvious given that obviously that none of us could sort of decipher the lyrics from that one that they need something that you can actually actually hear um you know i don't know you always look at things with sort of nostalgia but i think i think maloko was my favorite one i think that was my favorite super sunday mm. theme tune i think we need something with that kind of gravitas and i, I don't know i don't know who's <laughs> i don't know who's gonna uh who's gonna uh sort of compose the next tune or for for next year but bit, yeah it's just been a bit samey for the last few years and uh yeah we need up. To... hopefully someone somewhere is going to make the, the right decision this summer i haven't got long but they'll I'm i think sure we need uh, we it. need something that's clear and obvious <laughs> nice <laughs> our final award uh, perhaps that's the one we've been building up to all this time who knows that the real peak of this of this questionable ceremony which is the the most richard keys set of words of 2019 20 um, I offer you a top three, and then we can pick our winner. First of all, I haven't got the clip for this. This is just a set of words. He said, Qatar is a lovely little country. It's a gorgeous place to live. So let, let that one sink in for the moment. Uh, here's, here's number two. William Shakespeare was not just born on this day. He died on this day. Unusually, he died on this day. And here's another very strange but true fact. I was born on St. George's Day, as mm -hmm. I've mentioned. Andrew here was born on... St. Andrew's Day. Patron saint of Scotland. Yes. You couldn't make that up. No, you couldn't. Why were you not called George then? I think it was a consideration. Was that? Mm. 
I know, I know it's a cliche to say he's basically Partridge, but that that was that was pure Partridge in a really sophisticated, complicated kind of way. That was Partridge personified. But that is simply number two. Here is number three. On this day in 1912, the Titanic sank. Did it really? Mm-hmm. Well, you've started the day on a real high there. That's wonderful. Well done. <laughs> I just in the middle wondered. of a pandemic and you bring up the destruction of thousands of lives. comparisons to be made between the Titanic and uh, football right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick, let me know your winner here. I'm, I'm intrigued to know. Oh, it has to be number two, I think. It's, it's as if, oh. as you said... It, it, it's Partridge, but it's as if Partridge has Partridge as his sidekick as well. Mm. Kind of <laughs> There's a lot of layers to off it. Partridge. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it. It's more complex than the other two. Dan, how about you? Um, I would go number two. Yeah, but I think we need a. I feel like we need a shout out for some, RichardAKeys.com blog as well. I think. Because um, there's some <laughs> premium keys. My 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 keys of the year would be his blog about Clive Tildesley um, and obviously the sad news of him being yeah. replaced as a commentator on uh, on ITV, um, where he just put this paragraph where he said he wrote, uh, "Clive is a nice guy. He's deeply thoughtful and cares." Although I haven't heard anything from him these past five years, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> It's that it's that delicious amount of self awareness that he has, and it's it, it's just the right amount. It's just below the threshold for knowing what anybody thinks about him. But and but he still does feel, you know, aware of himself, and that's the right place to be. Uh, and we've been very aware of the 2019-20 season, haven't we? Uh, thank you both for running me back through the most unimportant bits of that season that we could possibly have covered. I really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, see you both again for 2020-21, which is a real, again, I should reiterate, it's a really (laughs) annoying season to say out loud. Someone somewhere needs to figure that one out because it's really irritating me. But I think we can all agree that 29-20, it was what it was. 